kids are modeling for us how to sing out. Love it. I want to take just a moment before we get started, if I could, to, um, to offer just a, a personal word of, of thanks. Um, our family has spent a lot of time over the course of this week just reflecting on the gift um, that was last Sunday night, and it was such a sweet time for our church to be together and celebrate the church. And I want to thank you for, uh, for, for being there and um, sharing that celebration with us. It was a beautiful testimony to the power of God to build a covenant community. And we were able to celebrate that, and it was a night that... Um, it was a night that our family will not forget, and so I want to thank you. Um, <clears throat> next Sunday uh, will, uh, will be my last sermon. It will not be our last Sunday worshiping. We'll be here for Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve. Next Sunday will be my last sermon, and, uh, and for that sermon, we're going to peel off from Isaiah prophecies and look to Ephesians. There is uh, a passage in Ephesians I want to share with you next Sunday, but we're not there yet, and so I want us to turn to Isaiah chapter 9. We're continuing to look this Advent season at the prophecies from Isaiah, and if you recall last week we were looking in Isaiah 7, um, <clears throat> there we heard about the prophecy of, of a child to be born, a baby. The sign was the baby born of a virgin who is to be called Emmanuel, God with us. Now, we looked to the context for that sign last week. There was a very real and present danger for the people of Judah as there were invading armies coming and they desperately needed peace. And we looked last week to that near-term context, but also the long-term context where the people of God of all time have a very real and present danger due to our sin. And we also need hope for peace. And so we saw last week in Isaiah chapter 7 the promise of the one to come. This week we come to Isaiah chapter 9, the context is the same, both for the people of God in Isaiah's day and for us today. The hope is also the same. Now, Betty has already read for us the full passage, and you heard, I hope, in that passage, the, the thrust of the, the declaration of the peace to come. We're going to look to Isaiah 6 and 7. I'm going to focus there in reading, but in Isaiah 9 verse 6, you heard the names that were offered for the child, additional names on top of Emmanuel that would speak to who this child would be. Our focus today is going to be on the Prince of Peace. And so kids, let me have your attention for a moment. I want you to listen in the reading and in the preaching of God's Word. You're going to hear that the Prince of Peace is Jesus. 
Here's what I want you to also listen for. How does Jesus bring you peace? Okay? Listen for that and and talk to your parents over over lunch and this afternoon about how Jesus brings you peace. And now, with that, we're going to turn to Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. This is the inerrant and infallible word of God. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord Jesus, we come now to to hear from you, to celebrate you, to, to see this peace that you have promised for us. And so I pray that by the power of your Spirit, we would we would hear and embrace the hope that we have in you. Do this, we ask. In this time of of exploring your word, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Peace is is a word that's thrown out quite a bit in Christian circles, and it's thrown out particularly this time of year. But how do you define peace? And where... Are we to find it? I'm guessing that, that many of us are, are tempted to define peace by what is absent. Thinking in terms of the absence of conflict, in terms of the absence of, of strife. And so parents of young children and also parents of old children are longing for peace. Defined by peace and quiet. <laughs> No more back talk, no more, no more arguing, no more, no more crying. In marriage, we're, we're longing for peace, oftentimes defined by the absence of, of the confrontation, the conflict that often marks and mars our relationships. Nations are, are longing for, praying for peace, defined by the absence of armed conflict. But anyone who who lived through the Cold War, knows that that definition of peace is lacking. So if peace is defined by what is absent, then then there is no peace to be found in our relationships, in our jobs, in our world. So praise be to God that the Lord our God does not define peace that way. He does not define peace. Peace by what is absent, doesn't center it on what is missing, but rather on what or who is present. The peace of God, shalom, is defined by His blessing, His favor, His presence, which redeems 
our conflicts and which shapes our understanding of suffering in this life. We're talking today about the Prince of Peace, and he brings an internal peace because he is our peace, regardless of the presence of external conflict. That's how we could open this service of worship with a call to worship from Psalm 23 and and hear the beautiful way in which the Lord ends that psalm by the psalmist speaking of the Good Shepherd who is the Prince of Peace, preparing for us a table in the presence of our enemies. Yes, peace can and is Found even in the presence of suffering and external conflict. This passage is pointing to that truth. It opened, verses 2 and 3, speaking of the blessing of, of Emmanuel's presence. It speaks of, of light in a dark place. Darkness, by definition, is the absence of something. It is the absence of light. Verse 2 echoes what we hear later in John chapter 1, that the light has come. And the light pierces the darkness. The darkness cannot, will not overcome it. It builds in verse 3 to emphasize the joy that we experience as we rejoice in Him. To rejoice is, is the verbal form. Of joy, and, and we're to rejoice before the one who brings us this peace. And, and the passage builds further in verses four and five to speak of a peace that will come through a future victory over the oppressor that will end all conflict. Now, the fullness of that victory will be experienced in what we refer to as the not yet. The not yet is, is the time after Jesus' second coming, when he ushers in the final fulfillment of his kingdom and the peace that we will experience then in that final victory. But there are blessings of peace that we can and do experience on a personal level in the now. It's the blessing of quiet comfort of the presence of Emmanuel, God with us. The kids, they can teach us much about this peace. They, they know it, they experience it on a personal level. When a child is, is alone... They feel an unsettled anxiety, and it, and it shows up sometimes in misbehavior, sometimes in, in unexplained crying. They don't know what to do with that anxiety, and so it just comes out. But oftentimes, the lap of a loving parent is all that it takes to remind them they are not alone and to settle those anxious fears. It's the same for us. We, too, experience peace when our focus turns not to our aloneness, but to the presence of Jesus in our lives. It is a calming, soothing, 
presence that is worthy of celebration. Because this peace comes, because the text tells us, through a person. And Isaiah 9, verse 6, names him. I'll do you the favor of not singing this verse, though everything in me is tempted to burst out in song. When I read Isaiah, verse 9, 6, He is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Names that capture the fullness of who he is. His wisdom, his power, his tender care. When the first speaks of everlasting father, it's not intermingling the notion of the Trinity. No, it's speaking to the tender care that comes through a loving father. And it's the tender care that Jesus brings to us. Now, again, today our focus is on the Prince of Peace. But who is this Prince? Well, he's the promised child of Isaiah 7. The child who is born to us. The son who is given. He's Jesus. But you've heard that full description of who he is. His wisdom, his power, his tender care. Maybe you're wondering, how does a child bring All of this is a prophecy not only of the child who is to come, but of his life and ministry. So maybe we can flash forward beyond his birth to his life to get a picture of the peace that he brings. My personal devotional time this week, I was in Mark chapter 4. And the scene from verses 35 through 41, I believe, capture the peace that Jesus brings, the peace that we're longing for, the peace that I'm longing for. Mark 4, 35 through 41 is is a picture of Jesus in the boat with his disciples. They're crossing the Sea of of Galilee at Jesus' instruction, but Somewhere out in the middle of that big sea, a storm comes up, a raging storm. Waves breaking in, beginning to fill the boat. Have you ever been in the ocean, on the ocean, in a boat, in a storm? When When you see waves higher than the bow of the boat, when you feel the wind coming in, the waves crashing over you, it is a violent experience and it is distressing, to say the least. In that moment, if you've been there, both your stomach and your heart longs for peace and quiet. So how do you think the disciples felt in that moment? Well, their words... And their actions tell us they woke Jesus up. Don't you care that we're perishing? Yes, Jesus is asleep, not worried. And he he got up from his sleep and he spoke his word, the power of his word. Peace, be still. And in an instant, that 
raging sea became akin to what I remember in my teenage years when I would, I would go water skiing and I would see that calm, clear, glass lake. But in that transition, from the raging sea to the, to the peaceful waters, a new fear came over the disciples. There was an irony in all of this. This stirred a greater fear because they, in that moment, realized that the one who was with them in the boat was more powerful than the storm. It was a fear. It was misguided. But not altogether inappropriate. Because it gave them a glimpse of the power that the Prince of Peace possesses. And that he brings, brings to bear in their lives and in ours today. Are you experiencing the uncertainty of storms in your life? I feel certain you are. Sometimes those storms are experienced in, in the context of, of relational conflict. Sometimes they are experienced in the anxiety that exists within our own minds. A shaking that we can't seem to be freed of. An internal strife that leads to external, an external that leads to internal. That is you. I know that it is me. And take comfort in the fact that Jesus, he is not anxious in the storm. Not because he is uncaring, but because he is sovereign over the storm. He is sovereign over our lives. Take heart knowing that the Prince of Peace, he came to institute a reign of peace. Verse 7 and the passage seems to pull all of this text together. If you, if you see the, the flow of the whole, verses 2 and 5, the th- 2 through 5, focus on this peace that he brings. And then verse 6 names him. Verse 7 then builds on that final name, explaining it in context. The Prince of Peace, he will reign over all, and through his reign, peace will reign. Verse 7. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Dominion, reign, governance. Those are not words that we often associate with a baby. Maybe. There are words that we're not sure we want to associate with this baby. For some of us, it's because we've become jaded. Presidents, kings, they come and they go. Sometimes we're sad that they have went. Sometimes we're happy. And so... For us, the jadedness over the government sometimes shows up in apathy. We just could care 
flesh. Sometimes it shows up as desperation. We're longing for a government that will finally be worthy of what we have needed. Where? Where, oh where, will we find a government that will grow and maintain this reign of peace? The text is speaking of an everlasting government. But Jesus makes clear that His kingdom is not of this world. Prince of Peace, He's also the King of Peace. The King whose rule and reign will know no end. You see, you and I, we, we're actually called to impact earthly Governments. It's, it's part of how we live out our vision statement where we say we are joining in His work of redemption so that all things reflect the goodness, truth, and beauty of our triune God. Yes, we're called to get involved. Yes, we're called to do simple things like vote. But the government that is referenced here in Isaiah chapter 9 bears no connection to Republicans or Democrats. It's speaking of the kingdom of God. And as citizens of the kingdom of God, we experience true peace when we subject ourselves to His reign. To subject means to submit. Trusting that the one who is not anxious in the storm is the one who has power to bring bring peace in the storms of our lives. You see, His reign, as the text tells us, and His peace will increase with no end. Remember how we defined peace? Through His presence. Through His favor. The presence and favor through which we receive blessing. And that means... That for eternity with Jesus, every moment will be better than the last. Is that how you're experiencing His reign now? Every single moment better than the last? Does it define your current experience of of Jesus' reign? Maybe not. Maybe not. Most likely not. Because we live in the now and the not yet. Here's what I mean by that, if you're not familiar with that phrase. Jesus ushered in the kingdom of God with His first coming. We see it in in the opening chapter of, of Mark. We see it at the beginning of His ministry in Matthew. As Jesus inaugurated His public ministry, He did so by saying the kingdom of God is at hand. Meaning, He ushered in the kingdom with His first coming. But it will not be until the second coming when His kingdom is to be experienced in its fullness. We live in the now and the not yet. And so what is your experience now? Many of us are longing for this peace again within our own minds and and with. In, uh, and across our earthly relationships, relationships that are often marked by conflict. Now, we get the blessing of planning worship in relationship, and as we talked about that this week, and we talked about the peace that we are so often missing, we, we said that we miss that peace often because we are missing each other. 
We talk at one another. We talk past one another rather than connecting with one another. We do this in relationships oftentimes because we live practically as if we are in a silo. And in that silo, I'm happy to tell you what I need versus listen to you and connect with you. Now, if we define peace by the absence of conflict, guess what? We can, we can just shut up and, and not argue. But there is no peace in that. On the other hand, if we define peace in terms of shalom, in terms of presence, then we can connect even when we disagree. And in that connecting, we can find peace by fully knowing and by being fully known. How? That's what we all want to know. Because in my experience and then in this life, I know that this world is stained by sin and so is my heart. Our hearts are stained by the same sin that stains the world. So how? Well, we've got to know this. The relational peace that we long for with one another, it is founded on a peace that we receive. The Prince of Peace, he came to win the peace by putting an end to the hostility that exists between God and man. Jesus ended it. He won it, taking it on himself on the cross. Kids, I asked you, how do you find this peace? It's this. Jesus took your place. He took your punishment and thereby gave you his forgiveness. Jesus wins your peace by taking your place in death so that you can be reconciled to God the Father. Jesus did this for those of us who will call upon His name in faith. In doing so, we are united to Him in an eternally peaceful union. At a peace defined not by absence, but by presence of an eternal relationship with the Prince of Peace. You see, that, that peace that we receive, it's a personal peace that leads to interpersonal peace. In Ephesians 2, verse 14, we are told that He is our peace. But in that passage in Ephesians 2, when when the Apostle Paul tells us that Jesus is our peace, he's speaking in a context of, of conflict between, or a former conflict, between Jew and Gentile. Two people groups who despised one another, who were separated, even by religious structure. And yet, Paul is telling us, that Jesus has now redeemed Jew and Gentile, that they are united in Christ. And because they are united to Christ, they are united to one another in Christ. Previously, their differences were the focal point. But now, in Christ, 
their union is the focal point. They're united to God the Father vertically, which means they are united to one another horizontally. That doesn't remove all of those differences. It doesn't remove all of those preferences, but it puts them in context behind a foundational union, a foundational peace with Christ. So, this interpersonal peace, won by the Prince of Peace, is not based on the absence of disagreement. We still will have conflict from time to time. But there is a truer peace because it is dependent upon the presence of His gracious favor. That was in Ephesians. Let's go back to our text today in Isaiah chapter 9. The promise of eternal peace, this verse tells us, is established and upheld with justice and righteousness forevermore. Earthly kings, they seek to impose justice. The Prince of Peace has secured justice. You see, justice demands righteousness. Righteousness that must exist among all the people if there is to be justice in the land. It's why earthly leaders create and impose laws. But on the cross, Jesus died for the unrighteous. And in doing so, he fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law. And in doing so, he transferred to us his righteousness. This ultimately was the work of the child who was to be born. The prince of peace. What a glorious child he is. We love to celebrate new birth. We've already said we've prayed for children. We celebrate the children, and we love to celebrate new birth biblically. And so we've rightly elevated Christmas to be one of the most holy and blessed days in our church calendar. Brothers and sisters, this Christmas, as you celebrate the birth of the Christ child, do so as one who sees him in his fullness. Wonderful counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And in seeing Him in His fullness, receive His fullness. Because to an anxious world, our Lord promises the peace that only He can bring. The Christ Church, let us find our desire for peace shaped by the Prince of Peace. And this Christmas, let us rest in Him. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we praise You that, that You have come to fulfill all the prophecies, all of the promises, and that in You, we have new life. In You, we have peace. Let it rain. Let it rain in our lives and let it rain for all eternity, for Your glory and for our good. It is in your name we pray.